Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 346, recorded August 1st, 2021. Today we're doing two issues of Star Trek Year 5, issues 17 and 18. That came out at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. Right. Actually, I think both of these came out at the end of 2020. So, oh, fairly, fairly recent issues. Yeah, November and December. Yeah, in December, right? This is finishing up 2020. Right. And something I really like about these two issues is they're kind of delving more into the backstory of Gary Seven and Isis, or at least Seventeen is definitely Seventeen is. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying seeing a lot more. Um, a lot more meat to the backstory. Exactly how did Gary come to be um, supervisor, whatever supervisor number he is? Well, not only that, but why is he so different than he was back in those uh, original books oh, or the original episode? I could not agree more. He's a homicidal killer now. How? Right. I could take a pin in the eyeball and keep going. Ooh. Exactly. Well, yes. So we find it. So his durability, we know more about how he has that. But man, he's just doing a lot of bad things. So that'll be seventeen, and then eighteen starts off a. I guess it's a two-parter. It uh, is just again the Enterprise making its slow way home. <laughs> <laughs> Laboriously slow Which is way kind home. Of funny at this point. Yeah. So in, in case you don't remember. The last time we did Year 5, which was episode 333, it was uh, Mud running for president, and uh, we found out that Gary was trying to manipulate it so that Mud would become president and basically destroy the Federation from the inside, which Kirk thwarted. And then, uh, and then I guess... Well, that's right, Scotty seduced the, the, the robot girl. <laughs> seduced. Seduced. No, he, yeah. he logically spoke to her. And appeal right. to her prime directive. Right. You want to protect Mud. And you know that Mud usually screws up because of himself. Exactly. So let's protect Mud from himself by stopping his plane. Exactly. Yeah. That was, that was a, it was beautiful. It was, it was actually quite good, Scotty. You couldn't physically take her down, so. So 17's kind of a one-off, and then mm-hmm. 18, we go Get back. back in the story. What, yeah. what happens after they, they leave Mud's planet? At Mud's planet. With all that preamble, shall we jump into 17? Let's do it. Okay, cool. So I'm synopsizing 17. And 17 is really interesting because a lot of times in these issues, you don't get a... Matter of fact, maybe you never get a title (laughs) uh, of the particular issue. But this one is really interesting. And Donovan probably has more to say about this. But this issue might have a couple different titles that's being hinted at in, in covers and the... Uh, and in the book itself. This issue 17, which was published August 1st, 2021, the title might be Trust the Plan, maybe, or it might be Weaker Than Man. Don't know, but there's a couple hints there. I'm sorry, <laughs> the published date, I might have said a different date before, but the published date is November 2020. Writer is Jack Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by J.K. Woodward. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Showrunners, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Editor, Chase Moroz. We got two covers. Cover A features Gary Seven and Isis in human form, standing back to back behind a, the long leaves of kind of like a plant. Gary is holding his magic servo pen, while Isis is just plain looking hot. And this cover is by Mark Lamming. Retailer incentive cover A shows Gary Seven undoing his tie while Isis is standing on his shoulders. She's kind of leaning against the back of his neck. Text below says that this is Star Trek Year 5 book, and the title to the issue 
appears as if it might be weaker than man. This cover is where I got one of the possible titles of this issue. Moving on. A man named Caleb Howell, who looks a lot like Gary Seven, is on a run through a suburban neighborhood complete with white picket fences. It looks like it might be 60s, 70s U.S., maybe? Hard to say. He passes a window with a woman holding a child, looking out, perhaps towards Caleb, and they both have smiles on their faces. Caleb looks at his watch, accelerates his pace, and arrives at what turns out to be his home. A shower and a half-consumed breakfast of purple liquid straight out of a juicer. Later, and Caleb steps out of his house to see a stranger in a black suit. The man says, Gary Six is dead. Aegis calls on the seventh. The stranger, who is not really a stranger, raises a familiar pen-sized device. Caleb asks, why was he chosen? The stranger, who is not really a stranger, says there is no one thing. It's a reward for a life well lived. The stranger says, when you are ready, ascend. He activates his pen device, and a tall doorway of light appears between the two men. Gary says, trust the plan, and steps through. A third-party narrator explains Gary's origin. 6,000 years ago, the Aegis took his ancestors from Earth and used their technology to genetically manipulate this sampling of humanity into superior humans, perfection in mind and body. 4,000 years ago, the first human supervisor was born, and since then, there have been six. Caleb Howell was scared when he stepped through the door and was in shock when he exited into a city under a dome with a Class M environment on top of a hunk of rock in what appeared to be an asteroid field. Caleb could see through the dome at other hunks of rock floating in space with domes of their own. How many? It could be infinite, since the domes were there as far as his punny human eyes could see. An incredibly tall alien puts his hands on Gary's shoulders and says, They are waiting for you. The alien gestures Gary to look at the Vulcans, Klingons, Cardassians, and Dorian, and others, all with an animal companion that are walking away from him and on to their unique destinies. They are all supervisors, grown in isolation and locked in at their peak of perfection to help their savage races survive, grow, and mature. Gary wants to speak to one of them, but the alien tells him he cannot. They have been briefed and are on their way to their respective assignments. Gary's briefing begins, but rather than being told verbally or visually, knowledge is beamed into his brain. His body is enhanced still further to the point that the icy cold of space cannot harm it. His clothing, consisting of a bathrobe, falls away, and a holographic camouflage graft clothes him in what appears to be a dark gray 20th century suit and tie. His briefing complete, he is now the seventh Earth supervisor, who is known as Gary Seven. Caleb is but a memory. A memory from thin air introduces Isis, Gary's lovely companion, who hands him his servo device. Isis offers to show Gary a neat trick and turns into what appears to be a common black house cat. She said she prefers the form of a cat. Gary stoops down to pet Isis and begin a long partnership. And so began the career of Supervisor 194. A two-page spread containing five tall, angled panels presents Gary through his various missions, helping mankind at pivotal points in our history, all at different points in time. One is even the future, when a certain Vulcan survey crew decided to meet the human inventor of warp drive. Setting. Aegis HQ. Year Unknown. Gary is finding out for the first time about the 1968 launch of a nuclear weapons platform bound for Earth orbit. Isis is telling him about it as she is in the know. Why does she know things that Gary does not? 
Isn't he the supervisor? She tells him agents 201 and 347 were dispatched to deal with the situation, but they are now dead. Supervisor 7 must deal with it now, and in doing so, will meet someone he must meet for the success of the plan. Gary asks if this person is a friend or foe. Isis simply says yes. Skip forward in time, slightly, when Gary finds himself beamed aboard the USS Enterprise, where he meets Captain James T. Kirk for the first time. After the mission, Isis and Gary are discussing it and how Gary was manipulated. The two agents did complete their mission before they were killed. They did sabotage the rocket to look like it malfunctioned naturally, so Gary says his involvement was not really needed. Isis tells him this was an opportunity to observe Captain Kirk in a high-pressure, do-or-die situation. Gary recounts his observations of Kirk and wraps it up saying he does not think there is an impossible situation that Kirk cannot find a way to deal with. Isis says that is exactly why Kirk must be removed from the equation. He can find a way to derail the plan. Isis finally unveils the Aegis's plan to Gary. A. The Aegis operates not only in the Milky Way galaxy, but in many galaxies. And what all these galaxies have in common is constant movement and change, often not for the better. B. Despite Gary's defense of the Federation as coming not into existence and staying strong, in large part due to contributions of his people, Earth humans, Isis says that alliance has led and will lead to countless wars and endless bloodshed. The Klingons, the Robulans, the Borg, the Breen, the list goes on and on. The list will continue to lengthen over time. The Aegis intends to level up the Tholians' tech level to the point where they can wipe out all the other races in the Milky Way and establish a homogeneous Tholian race that will bring peace and stasis to the Milky Way. Gary is pissed and says the Aegis have lied to him. He and all the other human supervisors and agents that laid down their lives to protect and nurture Earth and humanity, and all for what? So they can all be wiped out in the name of stasis? Gary says he will not do it. He will not wipe out Earth. It's his home. Isis says his genes are from Earth, but it's not his home, and it never was. Gary senses Isis is messing with his mind. She brings Gary back into line through deceit and pulling all of Gary's strings, even sexual. She says they both believe in the future, and she believes in Gary. In the end, Gary appears to drink the Kool-Aid, which was a foregone result given the level of physical and mental manipulation he experienced throughout his life. Gary holds Isis in cat form in his arms, and says, we have a galaxy to save. The end. And then it looks like he's like about to quantum leap somewhere. <laughs> yes. Exactly, quantum leap. Exactly. So what do you think? I like the artwork. <laughs> I, <did>. <laughs> <laughs> I really always like the artwork. The artwork. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the artwork is, is great. It's very good. And then as far as the story goes, I mean, it just... To me, it opened up too many, too many questions. Just uh, as far as, so does Gary jump through time? It seems like he does. Yes, he does. Which I did not know. Yeah, because uh, I mean, there's been other stories where it, he's long lived, but it, he's he's still going through time. You know, the long way around, one day at a time. That's what I thought. Since it shows him in the 70s or 60s when he gets recruited and then it shows him bouncing around through time with different uh you know Genghis Khan and all them yep. and then and then eventually meeting with Kirk and then doing other stuff just I didn't really care for that part cuz I don't he's not Doctor Who he's not I've never really thought of him as <laughs> he's, being He's even more Doctor Who than <laughs> <laughs> than we previously thought. Right. But I did like I mean again the artwork was just so fantastic throughout the whole thing. Just, yeah. It was very uh, good. It was but, very good. And, and, and I, I love seeing the backstory, more details of the backstory. But it did establish some things that are like, mm, I'm not crazy about. Right. So off air, we talked about other 
Gary Seven appearances. And you mentioned that you read a book or something that kind of backed this up with him being part of a a yeah, larger so, plan or whatever. A large, well, a larger team. Right, right. So he's team. the reason he's a supervisor is because, and, and we know from the original Assignment Earth episode, there are also agents of the sure. uh, uh, of the Aegis that are also on Earth. We know two of them died, but we only really saw Gary in action, or he and Isis. So there are more Aegis agents down there, and Gary's kind of like the team leader of them, okay. apparently. So in this book, or the story, I mean, Gary was actually in action with these other agents. Was that a assignment Eternity? Does that sound right? By Greg Cox? <sighs> Assignment Eternity. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it was so long ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if it was one of the Khan ones, where Gary oh, was going up against Khan. He is, he is in one of those Khan ones. He is. Oh, okay. Or whether it was a, a different story, maybe what you're mentioning. But I, I, I think it was more towards the Khan ones. But... Yeah, okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But anyways, in that one, it didn't say that he was jumping through time. It's not no. Right. It's just... No, no. Yeah, yeah there, there I think, no time I, think I know which one you're talking about because in that one he mentions that Terry Gar's character is mm-hmm. no longer with him, but it, she eventually retired or whatever because you know that's set in the forty years later after Assignment Earth and things like that. Right. Okay. All right. I do kind of remember that story now. Boy, that was a long time ago. Yeah. That we read that or that we talked about. <clears throat> right. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I like the idea that he just has all these other races, you know, they have a supervisor on Klingon mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. all these other ones, but... Uh, and they all have their familiar, and they're all different animals. Little oh, yeah. dragon things, <laughs> and... Uh, and the Targ. Targ, okay, I, exactly. I was wondering why the Targ was there, but yeah, no, that it's a familiar, that, that's really funny. Right. So they I probably... I was like, oh, that's weird, there's a Targ one, that's, that's odd. <sighs> <laughs> and then uh, was it the Andorian that had some kind of little bird or maybe dragon kind of thing? Uh, w- one of them had an interesting flying right, critter right. or something. No, the, uh, it was the Cardassian. But the Cardassian well, the had Cardassian that? had like a little fly, flying lizard on his shoulder. Okay. But then the Andorian had like a little monkey thing too. Okay, a little monkey thing. Yeah. No, they all they all had. It looks like there's a, a it's not Kazon. Yeah, Kazon. That has a, a bird, like an eagle or something. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. A Voyager Kazon. Interesting. Yeah. Right. I recognize that was, that was another Star Trek alien, but I didn't connect the dots and say, oh, it's a Kazon. Right. Okay. Oh, and there's a, a, she, a Shilat for the Vulcan. Nice. Yeah. Shilat. How do you say that? I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> Sabertooth tiger. Ah, <laughs> uh, or Sabertooth bear or something? I don't know what it is. Yeah. But, but that, yeah, that was the one that was in the um, animated series, right? Right. And they do mention it in uh, Journey at Babel. Uh, mm-hmm. Sarek says something about he had that, a pet. Right. And then they ask him what it was, and he's like, oh, it's like a teddy bear. But... And they rip like, off your describe... arms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm probably mixing it up with Star Wars, but yeah. Yeah, right. They, they said something, something about like it being... Yeah, at first it sounds like a cuddly little animal, and then it ends up being this vicious saber-toothed monster. Oh, that's right. It, wasn't it Spock that's, that, that commented, made the comment? Yeah, something. I can't remember. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. And then, I mean, so you, he's like, all the humans that have worked for the ages have been lied to if we're going to destroy Earth. But not only all the humans, but every other race oh, that's in this, uh, in this, all you know, in them. this... The shot with all these other races. Exactly. I mean, the Vulcan's going to allow them to get taken over by Tholians? That doesn't make sense. Or the no. Klingon or the Andorian? I mean, that's a lot of Kool-Aid all these people have to drink to to let all their planets go to be well, destroyed by Tholians. Exactly. But at the end, Isis is manipulating Gary. She has the ability, or maybe the Aegis has the ability, to mess with his mind. Right. And in the end... If you're breeding these human beings and having them come back and doing things against their will and manipulating their mind, it makes complete sense you can do it. But it's like, wow, you Aegis guys are a bunch of very bad people. Very bad people. And then it almost turns into a horror story. I don't know if you ever saw, there was a multiple Limits episodes, the, the remake. 
Mm. That was back in, was it the 90s? I forgot exactly when that was on, but when they brought back The Outer Limits. And right. they had a couple different episodes that dealt with humanity's war with this other race. And we were just so hopelessly outmatched. And it had Patrick... I forgot the actor's last name, but he was the guy who was the uh, the Terminator, the liquid Terminator, liquid metal oh. Terminator. Oh, really? Okay. Patrick... I forgot, but he he was in this thing, and anyway, just to just to get this all passed. In the end, they're manipulating him. The the aliens are, and you find out, you know, he's like a heroic person who's trying to do something, and then you find out how he was just being manipulated the whole time. And then they had another episode later that starred Will Wheaton. They trick him into basically nuking the Earth. Oh wow! And it's like. Okay, so there's humanity against some higher technology, ruthless alien race, and we haven't got a chance. But, you, but during the story, you think we do. And then now, looking at this, it's like, oh, you think these guys, the, the Aegis are benevolent, that they're helping. But no, now we're finding out it's a horror show, and Gary's totally being manipulated. Anyway, it, yeah. just, it just puts the whole thing in a... A very different, very dark place. Right. Yeah, kind of like that book, How to Serve Humans. Oh, yeah, right. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. good point. No. That's another good example. But, but again, I like the idea of the Aegis, and I've enjoyed when they've been brought up in the other Assignment Earth spinoffs mm-hmm. that you know John Byrne did and, and yep. uh, the other times he's shown up. I just do not like the idea that their main goal was to destroy everything in the in the universe or you know, all of these other galaxies to stop wars and stuff by killing off everybody. Yeah. Just, well, they, yeah, like we said before we started recording, it's it doesn't make sense. You, I mean, you're going to kill off all these other races. I mean, you talk about how the Federation and in wars will kill billions. Uh, hello. If you if you're going to kill off all the races except for the Tholians, you're that's genocide on a level that's never been seen before. Right. All, right. all in the name of stasis, peace. Uh, no, no, it just doesn't make any sense. I agree in agreement. That that, yeah. that that part does not make sense. Yeah. I started this hoping that there would be some other explanation as to why Gary was acting so weird in this in this series, but this did not relieve my fears at all. Just made them worse well the only thing good is it's not gary doing it of his own free will so at least we know that the hero we came to know in that brief taws episode and then in following stories that we've seen him in he's still a good guy and we saw flashes of that here but yeah in the end his will isn't his own right which so in a way good in a bigger way bad by the end of the story, will Gary somehow be able to break through the control and help Kirk and company save the galaxy? Who knows? Right. Yeah, I kind of wish instead of saying that, you know, they would, I don't know. I mean, since Discovery's jumped in the future so far, mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought that this might have been a good way to acknowledge some of that, of what Discovery's having to deal with. Yeah. You know, and maybe, you know, they say by doing this, they would prevent something that's going to happen in Discovery Timeline from happening or something like that as opposed to just... What? So I, it I stops know. the burn? What? Yeah, what? maybe or something. I don't know. Just just somehow they could have said that, you know, there's something that's going to be so bad in the future that this mm-hmm. is their reason. That's the reason why they're having to destroy all humanity now mm. to prevent something from happening then. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. I think they could have tied it in with something, but but they didn't. They just no. We know that this is not going to work because we've seen Discovery and I've seen Star Trek. <laughs> I know I know uh, the Federation's still around. Exactly. So we know somehow this grand plan is going to be derailed. But how will Kirk finally have a chance to speak directly to the Aegis and and like uh, all computers Kirk has gone up against before he is able to talk the uh, Aegis out of it I don't know and, and he can tag team Scotty in because now Scotty's <laughs> <an expert too. laughs> 
Exactly. But it'll be a little bit more of a challenge because the Aegis probably are not robot or computers. Probably. Probably. Eh, when has that ever stopped Kirk? He, he's exactly. been able to talk gods down. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyways, it's really been bothering me, and I still don't have the answer, but these first couple of pages of Gary running and then getting called into service like this, mm-hmm. there is some book I've read, and it's a science fiction comic book. I thought it was Terminator, but I've gone through every single Terminator comic trying to find these pages. But, mm-hmm. uh, man, this reminds me of something. And I even was in this kind of, like, art style with, like, a Alex Ross or J.K. Woodward type style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, I can't find it. I, I have looked and looked and looked. But these first couple pages of just somebody running and then, like, kind of a preamble to some, you know, big science fiction event that we mm-hmm. already know about uh, is out there somewhere. And if, if you know what it is, Ken, or if somebody else knows what it is, please let me know. Cause it's really it's really bothering my brain. I will think about it, but it did it did not strike me as familiar. Right. Okay. Because I was reading this, thought maybe I've read this before. I'm like, no, because and then I kept thinking, oh no, this is that Terminator issue that Alex Ross painted. And then I went back and got it, and I was like, oh no, it's not this one. Hmm. And what what is it? I can't I can't think of what it was. It'll come anyway. to you as soon as we hang up. Probably. <laughs> So was that Earth that he was in? The Trust the Plan neighborhood? Yeah, I assume so. I mean, yeah, it, it I looked like Earth. I mean, it looked like the U.S. Although I right. suppose it could have been Canada. Maybe somplace in Europe, but I doubt it. Um, right. Well, the houses definitely look. It, it looked like the U.S. And the classical and, suburb. And something I really enjoyed was Fringe. The TV show Fringe. Mm-hmm. Another J.J. Abrams production. They used to use what enhanced reality kind of things and they would superimpose 3d text into a scene to kind of tell you like oh you're in boston or something like that and that was the first time i ever saw it in a movie or a tv production although maybe that wasn't the first time it was used but they did it a lot in that tv series fringe and then the same kind of thing is here where we see gary running and then on a wall, it has in big gold letters, trust the plan. So it's like, oh, yeah, Fringe. <laughs> but it's like, so that's, okay. why you, that's why you think the title's called Trust the Plan? Well, that's what I thought. But, but definitely as he's running, something that Aegis is apparently drilling into all of their agents slash supervisors is there's this plan that you don't know about, but trust it. I mean, right. Gary says it a few times, and then they have it, like, up there on the wall. It's, like, really nailing it into your, into your head. So yeah. I guess they're trying to say this is so much ingrained in Gary's head that the creators are really trying to get that across, how much that is in the forefront of, uh, of Gary's mind. Right. Or should I – well, what's his name again? It's not Gary. Caleb. Caleb. There you go, Caleb. It's in Caleb's mind, and and Caleb looks like a you know like a minor league uh, pitcher. You know, he's just kind of you know taking his time. He's you know he's 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 ready to be called up to the majors, but you know he's just doing his life here. And then he gets the call. And by the way, who's the woman and child supposed to be? Yeah, that's the only reason why I think maybe it's supposed to really be Earth is that's his real neighbor. Otherwise, it's why would they bother? Yeah, putting in these little random neighbors in the simulation. Uh, I don't know. At first, I thought it was his wife and kid. So when I was when oh. I first read it, it was like, oh, is it the wife and kid saying, "Hey, Dad"? Then no, he ends up going to his house, which appears to be away from that house with the window and the kid and the mom. Right. And then he seems to be alone in his little little house uh, with the juicer. Right. Yeah, I don't know who they were. Yeah. So is the actor who played Gary Seven still alive? I doubt it, but I don't know. Because if so, I hope he saw this comic. Yeah. <laughs> and saw his uh, superhero physique. Oh my! Oh my God! It's like, man, I don't think the actor looked like that. No, the actor never looked like that. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure the actor in his prime never looked like this. <laughs> 
I mean, this is like a Captain America physique or right. something. Yeah. You know, uh, Aquaman, Jason Momoa, something. That is not. That is not the <laughs> actor who was in that Taz episode. Right. That's funny. So I know we kind of said this before, but I got to say, the realization that Isis is not a companion, but is actually a handler who is keeping Gary and agents in line is kind of upsetting. Right. You know, I keep bringing up how I don't like how they've changed Seven, but I don't like how they changed Isis either. Just, I mean, one, she never talked in the old show, right? So right. anytime she talks, I was just like, eh, that's not really fitting with her character, but... There's nothing well, else that know. she couldn't talk. Right, exactly. right, right. So I'm always able, because all expanded media has always had her talking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, maybe if that would have that pilot would have got picked up, she would have talked in the actual show. Right. I'm going to give you that. Right. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of her being, manipulating him and stuff like that with mind control shenanigans. And exactly. And also the, the realization that ISIS is also the guy at the beginning of the book. The bald Negro guy. Oh, you who, think that was ISIS? Oh, that is ISIS. At the end of the book, they kind of make that plain. Yeah, that's ISIS too. So, and who knows? Maybe the big tall alien, uh, you know, in the space station or wherever they were in that asteroid. Maybe that was ISIS too. Who knows? Hey. Oh, so you you know what I mean? Why I think the bald guy was also ISIS? No, why? Okay, well, it's towards the end of the issue. Well, okay, so says I'm your recruiter. Yeah, so th- this is that last page that just all the where ISIS is obviously manipulating his brain. You know which page that is, right? Yeah, and she's got the sneer, right? And then I, I just think, uh, well, in one, she's got her hip kind of like a supermodel pose, and her hair's flicking, and it's uh, and she says this is and always has been your mission through all of our adventures from the second moment we met to the first. Oh, and then she actually changes into that dude. Ah, okay, wow, I totally missed that. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, who knows? I mean, so I always thought she could just be a hot human lady or a cat, but apparently she can also be a guy. Well, we've seen her Tholianized earlier in the series. Oh, that's true, that's true. Oh, okay. Okay. Good point. Good point. I mean, she did take on different, some different morphing, but in this uh, series, but yeah, up yeah. until this series, I've never seen her or even heard that she could change anything other than a cat. Yeah, and again, who knows? She could have been the super tall alien too. Wow. And that's why you look at the pictures, kids, and not just read the words, because you miss out on stuff. Because I totally <laughs> missed that she changed for. Well, the words kind of. Get it? Yeah, they, no, they both. I mean, the, the words and the yeah. and the picture gets that across. Yeah, because even the the you know because when she talks, it's the bubbles are black with mm-hmm. white text, and then mm-hmm. when when she turned into him and said to the first, it's a it normal it. white bubble with a with black text. Man, right. I can't believe I missed that when I read it the first time. Yeah, interesting. Well, I think we we both agree that if you need to do the synopsis for a book, you're going to be a lot more up on the details because you had to do the synopsis. Right. So. Well, speaking of, did you know all the historical events in that little two-page spread? Oh, interesting. I, mean, I knew. I knew interesting topic. Woodstock and yeah. the Mongolian, uh, Genghis Khan, and the yeah. uh, Cochrane thing. But it was the other two that I wasn't, I mean, I know the eras, but I don't know what event that they're actually, he's stopping. I mean, I, I guess the first one is he's stopping the uh, Archduke Ferdinand's assassination world war one stopping world war one yeah which he didn't he doesn't exactly exactly (laughs) so it makes it sound like he and you can see the guy in the back walking towards the car looks like he's got a gun right but but you know he did die so what are you trying to say here yeah and then what's he talking Jimi hendrix into doing Uh, was Jimi hendrix really that important to humanity I, so. <laughs> I, I kind of think not, but okay, fine. Yeah, so, so I, 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 yeah, I, I knew what I knew what they all were, except for Gravelines fifteen eighty eight. I didn't know what that was. So I mean, so I had to look that up. Spanish Armada. So exactly. So the Battle of Gravelines, in which Spain defeated France 
1558. Okay, so that's one thing I, I looked up. But what this really is about is the next one. So then that one took place in 1588, which is the Battle of Gravelines, which saw an indecisive engagement between Spain and English fleets during the attempted Spanish invasion of England in 1588. So that's what it was. And Gravelines is a small port city, or it's a small port that was part of Flanders in Spanish Netherlands, close to the border with France, and it's the closest Spanish territory to England. There you go. And they won due to a storm or lost due to a storm? What, what, what does the storm have to do with it? That um, he's warning them about. I don't know. Uh, okay. I, I didn't. I didn't go that far. But but yeah. I mean, it, yes, definitely in the panel, the weird angular panel, they do talk about a big storm coming in, and maybe the big storm was part of the reason why it was an indecisive engagement. I don't know. Mm. But but what I do know is that the particular thing I read about did say there was an indecisive engagement between the Spanish and English fleets. Right. Uh, well, I didn't care for this page because uh, <laughs> because we know that none of this actually happened. I mean, we know well, that Archduke did did get we know Archduke. We know that we know. Yes, right. But, and we but, know that Cochrane meets up with these Vulcans, so exactly. we know that that happens. And we know that Genghis Khan did go west, and and he did start to invade the uh, the western lands of Eastern Europe. And this is insinuating that Gary got him to do it by telling about all the riches in the West. Right. So it's like, okay, well, what what did that help? I mean, (laughs) in the long run, that must have helped something to have Genghis Khan attacking the West. I don't know what, but... Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then the whole Jimi Hendrix thing still bothers me, too. I, I don't really understand... Is he? He's going to go out there and play the? Because he's famous for going out there and playing the national anthem on the electric guitar, right? Isn't that when he did well, it? He did that. The first time? But, oh, oh, you're. I, I don't know. Oh, I have no idea. Maybe. I, don't know, I don't know what it is. I mean, and well, we, we, okay. So the only thing I can see possible, but who knows, is he was part of the movement that got the Vietnam War to end. But is that what this is trying to say? I mean, was Jimi Hendrix that important? I mean, there was an anti-war movement big time going on, uh, but it right. wasn't just Jimi Hendrix, but it definitely was the Woodstock Folks, attendees. Yeah. I mean, that, that the whole peace thing, trying to get the uh, Vietnam War to end, but don't know. Now we get some of our shirts from Vietnam, so eh, it all worked out. <laughs> Anything else on this issue? I, I think we're kind of nitpicking a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're probably beyond where it matters. But I, I just thoroughly enjoyed seeing, even though there are aspects of it and revelations in it that disturbed me greatly, I really enjoyed seeing this much detail of Gary's backstory. Right. That's it. Uh, and one thing, as and it's something I, I don't like in a lot of Star Trek, is mm-hmm. uh, how big of a pedestal they put Kirk on. Oh, they and do that a lot. She's like Kirk, and only Kirk will prevent this from happening, you know, or exactly. whatever. And it's just like there's other captains, and yeah, you know, I've seen everything Kirk's ever been in, and none of it really seemed like somebody else couldn't have done it if they were in the same situation. Another Starfleet captain or admiral or whatever, right? Commander. Yeah. yeah. If Sulu yep. was in control, I think he would have done the same thing with the whales or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just like. <laughs> Nothing has really ever jumped out as being, this is something Kirk, only Kirk could have done. Yeah. Defeating Khan. I, you know, I think Spock could have done it. Uh, we've seen Spock do it in an ultimate time. Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. You're right about that. <laughs> oh, or, or Anahura. Right, right. Okay. That's, that's all I have to say. All right. That's it? Yep. All right. So, changing gears and art staff and everything. So... That really was just like a one-off, and then now we're back to what is kind of traditionally the year five style. So 
This is issue 18, came out in December 2020. No title that I can see. The writer was Jim McCann, artist by Angel Hernandez, colorist by Fran Gamboa, letterer Neil Yutaki, editor Chase Marotz, and the showrunners is Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. There were two covers for this. The first one is the main cover by Stephen Thompson, and it shows like a, a profile of McCoy kind of thinking with his hand up to his chin. And then we see the Enterprise flying through the middle of the page with like a DNA double helix trailing behind it. And then we see some nasty looking green viruses floating around. And then the incentive cover was by J.J. Lindy. And this is kind of in that, uh, I don't know, it's, this one's not a uh, travel brochure or anything, but it's, it's in that weird style. So it says, can the crew save the planet from the deadly outbreak? And it has the Star Trek in a font that's similar to Gold Key, but not quite. Uh, it says Star Trek Year 5 on the death of a friend. And then it has um, McCoy holding up a test tube, and then behind him we see a giant cat attacking uh, two gold shirts, which is probably Sulu and Chekhov. The story starts with a splash page, or like a little teaser, almost in the style of Gold Key. There's two panels. The first panel shows Kirk pleading with McCoy, but McCoy saying he has to see it through to the end. And then the second panel shows a tattered-looking Chekhov and Sulu squaring off against a familiar silhouette. And that silhouette is obviously the human form of Isis. Then the caption says, 24 hours earlier, the Enterprise picks up a distress call from Proximum Centauri. And then we get a brief history lesson, which is kind of funny because in episode 333, Ken and I spent a lot of time talking about this. And if we would have just read this, we would have had all of our questions answered. Proxima Centauri is a human colony founded by Zephyrin Cochran. And then over the years, the colony's uh, inhabitants have mutated from being normal-looking humans to the honeycombed, grid-ridged aliens that uh, we saw in earlier issues of the Year 5. So this confirms uh, what Ken was speculating in that the evil doctor and admiral from a few issues back was indeed Proxima Centaurians. So, that being said, they travel to the planet, and they find out that it's being ravaged by plague, as well as also there was some terrorist attacks to many of the buildings. So, as just a side note, I'm not sure if this was written before 2020, the, the whole COVID lockdown, but this definitely has a lot of similarities with that. We see people just falling down dead in the streets from the virus. We're seeing that most of the living people, if not all the living people, are wearing uh, masks. And they look very similar to the masks that we all wore in 2020 and continue to wear. And then, uh, and so it's, it's really kind of weird being that we're, where we're at now. So anyways, in the story, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and along with some medical staff, they beam down, but they get to wear the full EV suits. So meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Chekhov informs Sulu that he thinks that he knows who's behind all this. He points out that there is a life form that's unlike any of the Centaurians and that uh, it seems to be hiding from the rest. And he also says that the readings match those of the shapeshifter Isis. So back on the planet, we learn that Chekhov's speculations are indeed correct as we see Isis watching over Kirk from the shadows. She then looks up into the sky and sees the Enterprise in a very, very low orbit, and she somehow beams herself aboard the Enterprise, looking for some revenge. Meanwhile, Kirk meets with the planet's leader, and he offers aid. They go out together to survey the crisis. McCoy is offering help to anyone that he can. Spock points out that it is illogical to spend any time and energy helping many of them since it is pretty much a hopeless case. McCoy is adamant that he has to try to save as many of them as he can, and then Spock points out that McCoy's EV suit has a big rip in the leg. Spock ties it up to seal it as best as he can, 
Kirk orders McCoy back to the ship under a priority one quarantine. McCoy pleads that he should be allowed to say since the first symptom is a cough and he's able to breathe just fine, so there's no guarantee that he has it. But Kirk's decision is final, and McCoy is beamed over along with an escort. Spock offers to stay with the leader on the planet to further investigate how or who has caused all these attacks. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, Sulu and Chekhov are overseeing the creation of a quarantine zone in the shuttle bay. When they happen to come across an old friend turned enemy, Isis, and she coyly says, let's play to be continued. Wow. <laughs> I think that's great that we're going to see Sulu and Chekhov go up against Isis. I think that's pretty cool. But really, it's like, good Lord, w- why is Isis that driven by revenge? I mean, uh, I don't know. Because they were, the- Chekhov was shot her with the big rifle during the Kirk 7 fight, right? So while Kirk and Seven were fighting on the bridge, didn't Chekhov shoot her with one of the giant rifles that you like so much? (laughs) (laughs) Giant. Giant. It's a phaser rifle. What makes it giant? (laughs) It's not a a BFG. (laughs) But anyways, I'm assuming that's why she's she's out out for revenge. Okay, but I I thought they're supposed to be advanced beings. I mean, I, I, I know they've totally made Isis the villain, if she is not Darth Vader, she is. Uh, what's that one with the red and black face? That, that Darth, Maul. Darth Maul. She's at least Darth Maul. But still, <laughs> I mean, does I mean aren't they supposed to be from a? I mean, the Aegis are supposed to be advanced, aren't they? Right. Anyway, whatever. Yep. So again, she and Gary are obviously seeding this whole planet with this incredible coronavirus type thing and bombing the buildings. It's just like. Just to get Kirk's attention to, what, kill him? Is that is that the plan? So it appears. Yeah, so. But reading yeah. this, it did, it did get me wondering, whatever happened to Bright Eyes? Is he still on the ship, or did he leave? I think he's still on the ship. That's what I thought, too. He just so, wasn't part of the story yet. Right. Well, now that I know that they want the Tholians to take over the universe, now I'm like, oh, well, Bright Eyes is going to into this. Yeah, I, I think Bright Eyes has, has an important part in the final resolution of all this. Right. But he's not in this one. They don't mention him at all. Right. Okay, so Zephram Cochran settled Proxima Centauri. Right. Interesting. And that is more in alignment with what you were saying about that Taz episode. Right, where they say that he left... Or he the was, settlement. They say that he was from Alpha Centauri. Right. That's what that's what they say in in Todd's. Right. But then they've kind of retconned it since then and said that after the events of First Contact, mm-hmm. he he goes to Alpha Centauri, or Alpha Centauri. Right. He goes on one of the, uh, the one of the first settlement missions, I guess. Right. That's the retcon. Right. But uh, yeah, originally they just said he was from there. Right, which would have meant that we would have gotten to Proxima Centauri with sublight engines. And then he invented it when he was on Proxima Centauri warp drive? Uh, oh, yeah, they guess that, so. Is yeah. that what they're insinuating? Yeah, I think that's what they were, that's what they were insinuating back in the day. Yeah, in, yeah back in Taz. Hmm. Right, because originally there was no... They didn't date the show. They didn't say it's 300 years in the future back then. They just like it was the future. Hmm. Okay. I, I mean, I don't. I don't think they started dating. They. I don't think they put an actual date on it until next gen, right? Or was it sooner than that? I thought Roddenberry always said it was two hundred years in the future. Oh. But eh, I could be wrong. But, but, well, but yeah, they always use star dates. So right. officially, they never mentioned dates that would confirm exactly how far in the future i don't think but i thought roddenberry always said oh 200 years but uh, i don't know okay so 200 years in the future and then the, as the show went on they added in all this stuff that happened to earth right in between. right some contract writer comes up with something and says okay so okay does that ruin does that mess with continuity too much continuity schmanstinuity sounds fine <laughs> leave it in 
We'll figure yeah. it out later. <laughs> Nobody will remember. Anyway. Oh, we remember. Oh, we remember. That's right. So, obviously, you think the writer was uh, invoking the uh, 2020 pandemic in this issue, don't you think? Ah, probably. Because I mean, why else would they... So, so they're just trying to destabilize things more. Is that, is that what Seven and ISIS is trying to do with this? Right. Or they're just trying to get Kirk there, right? Okay. Again, I, I don't really know what they're doing, I guess. They're going to kill Kirk, right? That's what they're going to do? Ah. They just needed a reason to get him there? I mean, if they wanted to kill Kirk, him. then why, why didn't ISIS just go after Kirk? I mean, he was on the planet. I mean, she was on the planet. Just kill him there. He wouldn't have been expecting anything. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they want Gary to do it. Maybe. And instead, you know, get yourself out of the ship for a little revenge? It's like, okay. Right. All right. I guess they got to make the uh, the story go faster. Because really, if you wanted to kill Kirk, you could do it without too much trouble with their level of technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like like we've said before, that the transporter is the ultimate weapon. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> if right. If there's anybody you don't like, beam them into space. <laughs> so, uh, Never reintegrate their atoms. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's even a better way. Yeah. Well, isn't isn't that what they kind of said? Well, you know, you could use the transporter just like that mirror mirror universe Kirk ultimate weapon. Oh, yeah. the what did they call that? I forgot. I I forgot. The, Whatever that device was. Talos machine or or Talos something maybe yeah, I, I think, don't remember yeah, something. It, it had right. a weird name. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. But don't think about that kind of thing. But uh, I do think it's funny. We went on a long tirade in three, 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 talking about the grid-headed aliens and who mm-hmm. who they might be. Right. And right. you ultimately said, I think they're Alpha Centaurians. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you were kind of right. They're out. They're Proxima Centaurians. Well, yeah. But then my origin of them, people, human beings, or people in that star system that I had read online was different from what this is saying. So this says humans got there, but that's through normal colonization. And then somehow the environment mutated them into a slightly different species. Is that right? Is that so, it? Yeah. Within, within a hundred years, they were all mutated into this uh, grid pattern, right? which I think is pretty quick. You know, you're talking about one yeah. or two generations. Yeah. Where the other one was, People were taken far, like a thousand years before. Yeah, or by something. like the, the where were they? The founders or whatever. Who, whoever those that race was that seeded the humans. What was it? Them or somebody else? No, the, they were even further ago. The, the, the people we saw in, in Next Gen, that one Next Gen episode. Right, right. Yeah, those were even further in the past. Well, no, they, they were actually were mentioned they? in. Um, they were mentioned. There's a Taz episode where some Native Americans were repopulated off Earth onto another planet by somebody. Okay, but that's... Okay, but... So I thought you were saying it was those people that no. moved people into Alpha Centauri, and then that was the people that you Well, was I, wasn't, I wasn't saying it was the next gen, that, that, that race that, that seeded the whole... Uh... No, 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 no. I, I'm going back to the, the Taz one. Uh, okay. Maybe they weren't called Guardians. I can't remember what they were called. But right, yeah. Somebody relocated yes. some Native Americans exactly. to another planet. And then and when they, you were talking back then, I thought you were saying that they took some like Middle Eastern people and put them into this Alpha Centauri and did the same thing. That's what but, the wiki said. Yeah, okay. okay. So it could have been the same people. Uh, or it sure, could have been sure, just, sure. just something but, that aliens but like that to is, do. <laughs> but that is not the people in Next Gen. Right, right, right. Because that was even longer ago. Right, and that was like when that was when life was beginning on all the things. Exactly. That race went out and found there they were the only ones. The, the only they, they didn't find any aliens. So they decided, "Hey, let's make some aliens." All right, right, let's go. Let's go ahead and see all these places, including Earth. Which I really liked at the time. I was like, "Well, that explains why we all look the same." Exactly. Just different foreheads. Exactly. <laughs> Ever two arms, two legs. Exactly. About yeah. the same height, roughly. And all have the same facial features, except your forehead. Exactly. And we pretty much all speak English. (laughs) (laughs) And then you got the Tholians and the Gorn going, what? (laughs) (laughs) 
happened here? Uh, especially the Tholians. They are way different. Well, in the Horta, it's like... Uh, the Horta? Don't even, get me, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started on the Hortas. So anyways, I thought it was kind of cool that this kind of tied in with what you were saying, but at least as far as them being mutated humans. Yeah. Yeah, but, so so the whole yeah. the whole Miri-esque kind of, okay, McCoy time, you got to figure out how to create an antiviral thing or whatever, a cure. So that was like, okay, you know, I've seen these kind of things before. They're not always the most interesting episodes. But then we got, got a little fight teed up for the beginning of the next issue. Right. And McCoy's out. I mean, he's going to be sitting in that quarantine area. Mm-hmm. Well, he can still do his work. Right. From the Enterprise, but he just can't be on the planet. Now, then we, is, then, oh, go ahead. Oh, as near as I can tell, I don't see any weapons. I don't see uh, uh, Sulu and Chekhov seem to have black gloves and a respirator on. That's it. As far as I can tell, they don't have weapons. Oh yeah, no, they're they're in it. Yeah, they, they're going to have a rough time with uh, playing. Yeah, because she's going to turn all Tholian on them and, and smack them around. <laughs> Or not even bother being Tholian. She just has those claws coming out and just like she was hacking through red shirts like left and right on that one issue. Right. Bloody. That was a very bloody issue. Well, and somebody somebody bites it here off screen. They don't show who got killed, but oh, they show the, you the see blood. blood on the... Right. Yeah, that's how Sulu and Chekhov find them. Yep. I do find it funny that little teaser at the beginning shows... Mm-hmm. Sulu and Chekhov completely tattered. Their clothes are all ripped up. Yep. They're not wearing masks or anything. Yep. And they're fighting ISIS, which doesn't match what this is. Yeah. And then also, it showed Kirk and McCoy wearing normal uniforms. McCoy's like, I got to do what I got to do. Which that did kind of happen in this story, but uh, they were wearing EV suits, so they that that also doesn't well, match. Okay, yeah, so I agree with you. The first page is giving you glimpses into the future. What do they call it? So that's, that's, that's episode 18 or issue 18? Uh, I assume so. Yeah. So, well, both of these are probably from the next issue, right? I, I think so, but why would they be back on the planet without the, their Well, maybe unit? they're not on the planet. I don't know. I mean, it it, looks it, like that looks like right. wood yeah. that they're standing on, like staircase or, or something. I don't know. Yeah, or I agree. yeah. Oh yeah, could be could be rock. Um, I don't know. We'll find out. But definitely, the minute I saw these two panels and I saw that Sulu and Chekhov were facing off against an hourglass-shaped figure, it's like ISIS. And you're right away, ISIS. Right. And then we find out at the end. It was indeed. It was indeed ISIS. Now, how are they going to survive this? Obviously, they do. But how are they going to survive this? I mean, she is she's a formidable fighter. Yeah, I think Bright Eyes is going to pop in. It was like, I was right behind him the whole time. Uh, <laughs> now, that would be handy. Wasn't it Bright Eyes that saves Kirk's butt by knocking Gary Seven out or something? Yeah, at some well, point in something? at one point, yeah. Yeah, yeah he blasts her. Blasts him. Yeah, with, you know, with the, uh, what, Silver Surfer rays coming out of his hands or oh, something? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, like what? That. what's that about? <laughs> Tony Stark repulsor rays or something? What's that about? Anyway, whatever. We just didn't know they could do that the whole time. But they could do it the whole time. Since Obviously. the original since the original uh, Toss episode, they could do yeah. that. You just didn't see it. Off screen, yeah. Exactly. Okay. They just didn't have the budget back then. Right. <laughs> Anyways, I enjoyed this issue. Uh, I definitely want to find out what happens next. But, eh. They're really playing up Spock as being completely emotionalist now. Mm. And, I mean, I'm assuming they're building up to him. To something. Going off to do the Colinar thing. On <laughs> far uh, again or whatever. Yeah, I, don't I mean, that was, that was the whole reason why he goes off on that journey in the motion picture, oh, right? Good he, point. He's purging all good his emotions. Point. It's not even going to be. There you go. It's all teeing it up. Right. Okay. But uh, it just seems a little cold when he's like stepping over dead body or people that are dying, and he's like, "I don't even bother working with this guy." <laughs> there's cold, and then there's being a jerk, and uh, I think you're being a jerk. Now. Yeah, there you go. 
Good point. I didn't think. And about this that. just proves how how stupid those EV suits are. That somehow he got it snagged on a on a branch I or something. Love and those EV suits. Ripped it right open. And I think it's so cool that they broke the EV suits or the space suits, EV suits, right? That they broke it out in this situation. It's like, well, that's a and and, and until until it was ripped, I was thinking, well, that's an awesome thing. I mean, how could Use a spacesuit. You know you're sealed in that sucker. Right. No, I thought the same thing. Nothing can get in. But then I was like, oh, that's right. It's made out of paper. I forgot. <laughs> it's, made, it's made out of uh, tinfoil. That's right. Or no, or it, no, it's, was it silver or was it white? I know yeah, it's it white in sil- this, but. Yeah, it was kind of silvery. It, it was silvery kind of in, in the, yeah. the Taz show, right. Okay. Right. It was like that silver silk gauze stuff. Mm. It did not look like it was going to save them at all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and as we see here, it doesn't. No. A giant bulky helmet is fine, but uh, and then skin you tight make too. sure your knees don't rip out of the thing when you're yeah. bending down. There you go. <laughs> Something I like quite a bit is that Chekhov was able to scan the surface. You know, he was he was on the lookout for stuff going on, and he spotted ISIS using the ship sensors. And then they, I like they that. Nothing. And they did nothing. Okay, yeah. So good and bad. Good news <laughs> is Chekhov spotted her. Bad news, right. they didn't do a darn thing about it. They didn't even warn Kirk. Wouldn't you warn Kirk? Yeah. Wouldn't you think they would at least do that much? Yeah, no, I, I, I liked it. And, I did, yeah, I'm exactly with you. I was like, oh, all right. They're really building up his uh, promotion. To exactly. Security. And then nothing. Exactly. I hope I'm wrong. Now, you thought, like, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they didn't have enough time to, to, to warn Kirk. But, oh, they had time. I mean, all they did is, I mean, they were going down to check out the, the facilities. It's like, come on. You, you should have let Kirk know first. Right. And since they did know that it, she was there, I don't know why they weren't more prepared when they saw that blood spot. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, look, she must be on board. But instead, they're like, Blood? Why would there be blood here? <sighs> I don't ever know what to do. Well, you don't know 100% for sure. It's possible he could have spotted the blood and then, boom, Isis jumps in and does a superhero uh, landing. landing. <laughs> yeah, she does do that. <laughs> that. That must be hard on the knees. <laughs> that was one of the better parts in uh Black Widow movie where they, they kept bringing up how impractical that landing was. Oh, yeah. And how it was just for show. And how her hair was flipping back. <laughs> but it really was Deadpool that first brought up the superhero land. Yeah, yeah, right. In in an awesome way. I thought that was a great routine. That was pretty good. Okay. All right. Uh, the last thing I have is this guy that uh, McCoy is helping right when his suit gets ripped. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's Gary Seven? Oh, I, that it never occurred looks to like me. Him. You, you think so? Let me let me get back to that. Yeah, he he says his name is Marpuak. Uh huh. Call well, me Ma. I, I, I mean, I guess his hair is about. Like Gary Seven. Yeah, a little bit. Like, his hair's like that. Right. Uh, it's possible, but I I don't think so. Hmm. And it is nice to know that this grid pattern does not change your hairline at all. So you can grow your hair just as normal as you could as a human. Exactly. From those first couple of guys, I thought they were all bald. Yeah, those Starfleety guys look like they're all bald. Right. Hmm. And there's a few bald ones here, but but they do have quite a few that have hair. Yeah. Both men and women. There you go. Yep, that female leader definitely has a full head of hair. Yep. Under yep. her turban wrap, her Marge Simpson wrap. <laughs> she looked more like uh, Amanda from the Taz episode. Mm, there you go. Okay. All right. Anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Well, we're doing 19 and 20 next week. Let's do that. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. All right. Well, thank okay. you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week with 19 and 20. Perfect. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us 
at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.